guys are so funny. Um, so uh, a couple things really quick. Um, financially, we did give the final gift to um, SS Morris. They have all the funding that they require to do that project. We are uh, in talks with them, hoping um, that there's going to be some joint work projects. So do be ready to hear about those and put those on your calendar so that we can show up in person and um, do that work together. So we actually meet, get to know people, actually get to do some work with our bare hands. I know for a lot of you guys, you're like, just give me something I can do with my bare hands for Jesus. And we're trying to find something. We're working on that. Secondly, um, if you have been listening to the podcast, um, the one that we put out called The Living Room, this last season is completely out now on, um, called Undivided, and it, the episodes are really fantastic. Uh, if, if you're interested in people's stories and how you can learn about what the Lord does in our lives through stories, it's a really great opportunity for you to, to hear some great stories from people in our church. They're actually really deeply moving and really Christ-centered and cover everything from, like, gender dysphoria to families splitting up to um, interracial um, friendships and so on. So it's—I really uh, want to commend that to you. Um, I'm going to read— Micah uh, 6, verses 6 to 8. Pastor Marcus is going to focus on verse 8. I want to just briefly introduce Mark Stallon to you if you don't know him. Dr. Mark Stallon is the pastor um, at Mount Zion Baptist Church. It's, um, it's uh, off that Park Street exit if you're going around on the Beltline. He came s- several years ago. Um, our church was a- actually in- involved um, meeting with their deacons and stuff when he was coming on. We got to meet their interim pastor. We've, we were praying for Marcus before he got here. And um, and Marcus is the president of the African American Association of Churches, or Council of Churches, and um, which is an important consortium of um, black majority churches in Madison. It's a really big job. Um, so one of the reasons I'm telling you just a little bit about him is this, is that you're, it, as a Christian, it's your job to pray for your pastor, right? So you should be praying for me. You should be praying for Mike and, and people on our staff team. Um, outside of the leaders of your own church, the two leaders in Madison— that are Christian pastoral leaders that I think you should be praying for, think of them as bishops or something like that, is Marcio Sierra and Marcus Allen. Those are the two people I want you to pray for very consistently. Henry Sanders, who's another black leader in um, Madison, said recently on a podcast he was on that as he studied the history of especially black leaders in Madison, that he saw a consistent, um, like, health crisis in their lives because as competent leaders, they'd be, they'd be brought into a million things that they'd have to say no to. It would really overwork their health and stress their health. And a lot of these, especially in Madison, black leaders, like, they'd hit 55, 60, and they'd have big health crashes. So specifically, pray for Marcus's health. Pray for his voice. Pray for his study. Pray for his decision-making, his clarity, his marriage, his children. Um, I pray that I want—it's I, I, it's at least as important as praying for me is praying for him because of the church in Madison, remember, is one church. All who believe in Christ, who call on his, his name, accept the inspired word of God, and are calling others to believe in Christ, are one church, whatever we label ourselves. And so it's one of the reasons why I asked Marcus to come here. One last thing before I, why I read the scripture. Um, I explicitly asked Marcus to talk about whatever he wanted to talk about that he thought we may not otherwise normally hear at this church. So if he said, talks about things, you're like, why is he talking about that? It's because I explicitly asked him to talk about it. So if you're upset about anything he says or a topic he chooses to speak about, you should impute that blame to me and listen to him carefully. Do you understand? Lastly, we will have an AMA where I'll get to interview Marcus, okay? So you can ask Marcus questions through the AMA. I just want to say this very straightforwardly. Please do not ask your emotional, like, political questions that you want to yell in the shower, Okay? Like, don't, don't waste our time with Marcus asking those questions. Try to—you can ask race-centered questions if you want to, because he's a very knowledgeable African-American leader, but, but filter them through what is the question you think Jesus wants asked, and want, you want to give him an opportunity to answer. Because so, we only have a few minutes with him, so just 
Do you understand what I'm saying there, right? Okay, great. Micah 6, 8. 6, 6, 6 to 8. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with a thousands of rams, with ten thousand rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn before the Lord for my transgressions, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you, to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Let's pray. God, as Marcus comes to share, I pray that you'd give him free license to say what you lead him to say. We pray that, that anything that's in his heart, that's in his conscience to tell us as the body of Christ, I pray that you'd give him free rights to say so. I pray that you would give us unjudgmental, receiving hearts to consider everything he says. And I pray that you would, you would work in your body in the city. I pray that you'd build friendship and respect towards him through us. And I pray, God, that you would, you would help us to hear some things that we need to say, we need to hear, we need to know, and that we need to respond to. And I pray that you'd help us to understand what it is a Christian movement should produce in a city or a region. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Marcus, why don't you come? Amen. Check, check. Can y'all hear me? All right. First thing, let's put your hands together and give God a big hand clap of praise. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Truly, we're grateful and we're thankful to be in the house of the Lord one more time um, to praise, to worship, and to lift up his name. We realize if it had not been for his grace and his mercy, <clears throat> we would not be here today but he's afforded us this opportunity and this chance to gather together as Christian men and women in one location um, to lift him up. Uh, let me say, um, during the question and answer period, Nick, they can ask me anything. Amen. Because I want to hear the questions that you all may have. Amen. So don't, don't put a, a muzzle on any um, decisions or any questions that you may have. Um, as Nick stated, um, more than anything, I'm a Bible preacher. <clears throat> Amen. Um, so everything you hear from me today will come from the Word of God and how we look at life as Christians in this, um, this world that's mixed with so much uncertainty, so much hate, and often so much fear. Uh, but we as Christians, we stand on the promises of God that He promised He'll never leave us nor would He forsake us that he'll be with us even to the end of this age. So we trust him in that. I hear an amen. I'm glad I hear that. Amen. <clears throat> I like it when you talk back to me. Amen. Let me know um, that I'm saying something. But we're, we're grateful um, for this chance and this opportunity and um, for Nick entrusting me with his pulpit um, to preach the gospel. So give your pastor a big hand clap of praise. Amen. 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 That, 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 that's amazing. Um, heard one preacher once say, it's a sad day when a dog can't wag his own tail. And what that means is you need to honor, amen, your pastor, not calling him a dog, uh, but, <laughs> but you need to honor him uh, for the work that he's done, he uh, continues to do um, and uh, also trying to bridge some, some bridges uh, within our communities. Uh, Micah chapter 6, verse 8. 
He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? Do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. I want to talk about from the topic today, God's requirements for us. God's requirements for us. The ultimate goal of the Christian is to live a life that resembles that of Jesus Christ himself. Many years ago, we were introduced to some bracelets that had the letters WWJD on them. This acronym meant, what would Jesus do? This bracelet was there to remind us to act in a manner that would demonstrate the love of Christ and ensure that we are morally aligned with the principles of Christianity. And today I pose the same question, what would Jesus do? During these times of injustice and oppression in which we face today, many other Christians won't admit it, but Jesus is the example of how we should be demanding justice and equality. The black Christian church was established while in oppression, while in slavery, and for years the slave master used the Bible to perpetuate um, the acceptance of slavery by using Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5. Slaves, obey your masters. But at the same time, rejecting the entire book of Exodus, where God delivered a whole nation of people from the oppressive hand of the Pharaoh. It was the black church that gave uh, us some of the greatest leaders of our time. The black church uh, gave slaves the courage, or the Bible, the biblical text is what gave slaves the courage to run for their freedom, and Harriet Tubman the fortitude to attempt to move mountains to ensure that her people were free. It was the church, the Christian church, that produced many civil rights leaders such as Frederick Douglass, Megger Evans, Jesse Jackson, Andrew Young, and Martin Luther King, to name a few. Justice is connected to Jesus. One day while in the temple, Jesus was selected to come up and read from the scroll. And he selects the scripture from Isaiah 61 and 1. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted and proclaim liberty to the captives and recover sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed. This selection of scripture informs me that Jesus was concerned about the liberation of the left out, the left behind, the lost, and the less fortunate. This scripture proves that justice is connected to Jesus and God's spirit gives us the strength to complete this task. Jesus stood um, for economic justice. He goes to church on his way to the cross, to the temple, and notices that there are vendors in the courtyard robbing the poor by charging extremely high prices for sacrifices. 
Jesus did not ask them, could you please stop? But he began to flip tables and tear some stuff up and proclaim how they had turned his father's house to a hiding place for thieves when it was supposed to be in a house of prayer. Jesus is connected to justice. Jesus literally understands what it means to be in a food desert. One day while in a desolate place, the people from the community began to bring their sick and disease to Jesus. And after healing them all day long, the disciples said, hey Jesus, you need to send them away because McDonald's and Burger King is about to close. <laughs> Jesus' response was, you feed them. Jesus saying the same to us when we get in our sanctuaries or in our private rooms and we begin to pray for those who are hungry. Jesus is telling us today, you feed them. He's telling us to do the work and this command proves that when we are helping the disinherited, Jesus will give us the resources just like he took the two fish and five loaves and fed 5,000 people. Jesus is connected to justice. John chapter 8, a woman is caught in the act of adultery and somehow the man she was caught with got away. But the crowd of men brought her to Jesus and because of the law, if she committed adultery, she should have been stoned to death. Watch Jesus navigate this challenge from the people of how to handle this adulterous woman. Jesus never says that this woman was innocent. He just suggests she does not have to die for breaking the law, especially at the hands of those who resembles the same life as hers in some form or some shape. If you have not sinned, cast the first stone. However, everyone walked away. Jesus is connected to justice. Jesus was so committed to justice and liberation that he gave his life to liberate us, all of us, from the power and the penalty and one day the presence of sin. And we often cry out that we should be like Jesus, but if we have rejected justice and liberation, we are not resembling the character nor the actions of Jesus Christ himself. Matter of fact, Jesus was an unarmed man, innocent, who died at the hands of the government. But his death gives all Christians hope today and the resurrection that one day we will see him again. Since the death of George Floyd, many have asked me, what can I do? How can I help? Asking, where do I fit in? And, uh, and, and I can only respond with a biblical perspective. Do justly, love mercy, walk humbly with your God question today might be, what are our requirements? What does God require of us? One, God requires us to produce justice. Produce justice. This, the message of Micah is that God is displeased with the social injustice, a decline in morality, and living without a view to the Messiah's kingdom reign. 
During this time, those in power were practicing corruption, confiscating the fields uh, of those who were powerless and, and oppressing the poor and abusing women and children. They were disregarding the Mosaic law and its protections of the vulnerable. Personal holiness was also absent as the people lived in corruption. Micah, throughout this book, was trying to prove to his readers that there is a direct connection between our faith and our social concerns. Michael's message is that the spiritual must not become disconnected from the social. Michael connects social justice and true religion, and when the spiritual is applied to social and righteous ways, God will always bless it. This scripture is not saying that we can separate worship, praise, and prayer from justice, mercy, and humility. This scripture is enhancing and empowering us to cry out for justice in the streets as well in the sanctuary. I'm not preaching this sermon as a call for you all to go in the street and protest or to even have you holding up signs stating Black Lives Matter. But I am telling you that we have a responsibility as the church, the universal church, those who call on the name of Jesus Christ to produce justice. Justice declares, treat me the same way you want to be treated. God requires all of us to produce justice in our own way. Some may march while others may cook for the marchers. Some may cuss on the front lines while others may write letters. Some may stay in the streets while others operate at home. But by whatever means that is necessary, we must produce justice. Just this week, we watched a jury come back with a verdict of guilty for a police officer who killed an unarmed man, George Floyd, in the middle of the street. I remember over the summer how, how almost 10,000 people marched with the African American Council of Churches. Even your pastor walked with us as we shouted out in the streets for justice. People all across the world, not just this country, marched across the world and we were trying to produce justice for this black man. And watching CNN, Van Jones said something that was real, that black America on that morning, we were afraid to even hope that justice would be served. Because on too many other occasions, black people were unarmed, died, and no one was held liable for their death. We, we, were, we were afraid to hope for a guilty verdict, even with insurmountable video evidence and eyewitness statements, because we had been here before with no justice. Philando Castillo was murdered on camera with his girlfriend and baby in the car unarmed, but there was no justice. Uh, uh, Eric Gardner was murdered, choked to death on camera for selling loose cigarettes in front of a store 
are. And he continued to cry out, I can't breathe, but still no justice. Tamir Rice, a 12-year-old boy, was playing in the park with a toy gun and police drive up and kills him on camera. No charges. And I know we received an ounce of justice, but it cannot compare to the ocean of injustice black people have endured in this country for years. Last week was a bitter victory of guilty because we still watch Dante Wright murdered on camera because the officer says she mistaken her taser for her gun. And yet and still, we must continue to attempt to produce justice. We must continue as a church to cry out for justice. My sister has a dog. My grandmother calls this little dog Puppy Dog. Sometime last year, Puppy Dog ran away. She had not learned how to bark yet. However, when she was found by someone in the street, they sent her to the dog pound, put her in a cage, and because of this traumatic event for Puppy Dog, when she came home, somehow she knew how to bark. The dog had developed her voice while in a cage. She learned how to use her voice after a traumatic event. And for many black people, we have developed a voice for justice for how we were mistreated on the job, disregarded by our neighbors, hindered by systemic racism, and even neglected by our schools. We have developed a voice for justice, and if we, the church, can holler, thank you, Jesus, we can holler for equality. If we, the church, can holler hallelujah or hallelujah as we were singing today, we can holler for uh, equality against mass incarceration of black bodies. If we can holler glory to his name, we can holler for black children in MMSD where only one out of ten are reading at the proper grade level and doing math in grades three through eight. If we can holler in the church, we can holler for justice for the disinherited. Church, we must produce justice, but we must also preserve mercy. The heart of all believers must be aligned with the heart of God. Here God is requiring us to handle mercy with love. We all are mercy recipients. Yes, all of us have received mercy from God. Mercy is God withholding his anger from us. It's God not giving us what we deserve. The word mercy here in the Hebrew, it means loyal love, meaning to carry through on commitments to meet others' needs. Christianity is an others-focused faith. Our faith proves that serving others is like serving God. Our faith pushes us to have mercy on the naked, the hungry, um, the imprisoned, and the thirsty. Matthew 25 and 40 says, When you have done this to the least of these, you have done this unto me. Serving others equates to serving God. The love of mercy, it pushes us to love the unlovable. Have you ever encountered someone that seemed like they just don't want your love? Yeah. 
Oh, let's be real in the house today. But mercy allows us to love the unlovable. The love of mercy allows us to pray for those who despitefully misuse us. The love of mercy allows us to allow God to get revenge. The Bible tells us that God requests that we allow him to repay those who hurt us. And out of all the things God asks for, he says, vengeance is mine, and I will repay. Sometimes I just say, God, use me. Amen. <laughs> to help you. Amen. But I've discovered that God can do things and get away with it. Amen. Y'all not being honest here. <laughs> God, God can do things and get away with it. Vengeance is Mine and I will would pray. Here in the text, God is saying, don't just show mercy, but love to show mercy. The love of mercy is displayed in the parable of the Good Samaritan. Jesus tells a parable of how a Jew was walking down the road of Jericho and some robbers ambushed him, robbed him, and left him half dead on the side of the road. Jesus intensifies the story and suggests that a priest and a Levite, they continue to walk past. If I look at this, it suggests that the church walked past someone who was left half dead on the side of the road. But here comes a Samaritan who stopped and helped this man. That's mercy. But I once heard a preacher say, that someone needs to fix the road more so than the people. Fix the road to Jericho. If you pave the road correctly, if you cut the grass and trim the trees and put lights up on the road, it will remove hiding spots for robbers. If only our nation and our state would fix the road to school, it would help education. If we fix the road to work, it would help with our economic system. If we fix the road to the doctor, it would help in our health system. It's the road more so than the people because our environment contributes to our behaviors. But on the road to Jericho, this Jew uh, who is left half dead, this Levite walks by, this priest walks by, but someone from another race, another creed, another nation that was hated by the Jews walks by, but he, does, but he stops and helps someone not because they were of the same race, not because they were of the same economic class, not because they graduated from the same school, or the same religious belief, but because they saw someone who was in need. In order to meet a need, there must be a need, and if we do not acknowledge the need, we will walk by like the Levite and the priest. What does God require of us? Produce justice. Preserve mercy. Finally, in my last nine minutes, practice humility. It says, and walk humbly with your God. Michael is saying, people of Israel, the Lord has shown you what is good. He has told you what he requires of you. You must treat 
people fairly. You must love others faithfully, and you must be very careful how you live. The way or live the way God wants you to live. So walk humbly will be better rendered. Walk carefully with your God, which ultimately means be careful to live the way God wants you to live. This walk with God is one that requires humility because it forces us, all of us, to depend on God for the strength to handle the challenges of life. And often the walk in the Bible, whenever we see the word walk in the Bible, it's suggesting how we live our lives. It means how, to, how we function and, and life requires the spirit of humility as we walk before God. Th this walk with God must be one that testifies, Lord, I am an empty vessel, and I need you to fill me up. Fill me with your wisdom that I may make wise decisions. Fill me with discernment that I may know which way you are leading me. Fill me with forgiveness that I may, be able, that I may not be able to hold grudges against my neighbors. Fill me with more grace that I may not function in anger. I need you to fill me until I overflow. Walk humbly with your God. There is a blessing that comes when we walk humbly before God. There is a blessing of when we surrender our lives before God. There is a blessing when we empty ourselves before God and learn how to lean on God for everything. Jesus shows us the blessing of humility with his life. Philippians chapter 2, we see the Bible says Jesus humbled himself and he became obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. Therefore, God has exalted him. I wish I had a witness here. Therefore, God has, I'm feeling a little happy, I'm sorry. Therefore, God has exalted him and put him in a place where he has given him a name that is above all names and at the name of Jesus. Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. It's because Jesus humbled himself before God. And the Bible teaches us if we humble ourselves, God will lift us up. And I don't want no one else to lift me up because when people lift me up, they have the capacity of letting me down. But if I walk humbly with my God, God is the one that will lift me up and hold me where he places me. When you walk humbly, God will lift you up. I can produce justice. I can preserve mercy but it only happens when I practice humility. I'm nothing without you, but God with you, I can conquer anything. What great joy it is that we have a God that will walk with us. 
That, that this is something that separates us from other religions, other faiths, that we have a God that is willing to come to us and he does not force us to try to get to him. Oh, we, we, we have this, this great joy that we have a God that was willing to come down and be with us, that we don't have to do uh, uh, these things or, or do some uh, miraculous things that to show our devotion and discipline that we attempt to get to where he is. But the Bible gives us hope that God is with us. David said, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. I wish I had a witness. The Bible said, and his name shall be called Emmanuel, meaning God with us. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. But then in verse 14 in John chapter 1, and the Word came and dwelled amongst us. I wish I had a witness here. The Bible said, have I not commanded you be strong and of good courage? Do not be afraid nor be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you. Wherever you go, we serve a God that if we walk with him, if we humble ourselves before him, he'll give us the knowledge and the wisdom and we will meet his requirements and we will receive his blessings and he will elevate us and lift us and place us where he desires us to be. What is God's requirement for us? Do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. God bless you.